this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thank you so much for reaching out, for your comments, your encouragement. It means a lot. And especially when today's guest came about through LinkedIn and uh, he shot just a very nice note over on a previous podcast. And I looked at his profile and we had a previous Zoom call and I thought he would be a phenomenal guest. And that's why we're talking today. And this is Jonathan Banks from Minneapolis. He is the president and founding partner of Next. It's a design and consulting company, focuses on libraries, restaurants, customer experience, tech, DEI, diversity inclusion. And Jonathan, it's great to see you again this week. Thanks for being hey. on. Yeah, it's so great to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. And I was reading through your, uh, your note on where next focuses cx to me means cyclocross <laughs> and so I was, I was you know saying, we're very we're a very innovative company and uh, have lots of different interests so you never know where you'll find us but that's a good sales uh methodology to keep in mind is that when acronyms and terminologies are being tossed around it's like I know what it means in my world. What does it actually mean in your world? <laughs> well, that, and that's the thing, you know, if you find an acronym that has lots of different meanings in different places, you're bound to have some really fun discussions after that. <laughs> <laughs> One more that we'll get to actually something of substance. Whenever I hear a topic <laughs> that I, or a term I don't know, one of the first places I go is Urban Dictionary to see if it's something that I should repeat in polite company or not. <laughs> well, then you get to see how out of date you are too, right? Like, I oh yeah, by now, everybody, how many people are saying this and know what this is other than me, right? <laughs> <laughs> so when we talked last week about Next and your focus on restaurants, I'm sure most people with what's been happening the past year, year and a half, have seen impacts on restaurants. And I know just from life experience that there's always more behind the scenes. Everything is a nuance. There's a lot of nuance to what's been happening. And what do you do for restaurants? What have you done to help them? And let's just start the conversation that way with Next and you and your involvement. Yeah, sure. Well, when Next works with any company and restaurants, uh, especially, um, our, our whole focus is to get to know the restaurant, get to know their customers, and figure out how that restaurant can best work for the customer and create their best world. And that's our whole saying and kind of like motive here at Next is to work with partners to create our best world. And restaurants are so key in doing that. It's definitely been a rough go at it for the last few years in the restaurant industry for a lot of restaurants. And we've really been helping restaurants from a technology standpoint, from an operational standpoint, from a customer experience standpoint. And you know, it's sometimes it's just being a trusted advisor and a trusted counselor for restaurants during, during these very tough times is where we've really showed up. And it's been very enjoyable work. It's been worthwhile and we've been happy to be a part of it. So I'd like to expand on the, the tech in, in restaurants because a restaurant, it, maybe it, its simplest uh, definition is not necessarily high tech, but tech could definitely help with the, the function and the operations and delivery and all that. And uh, take me through some of that with you know, maybe something like a success story you've done with a restaurant and next and in that best world what did that look like sure yeah um that's that's a really great question and there's such a variety of technology that's involved in restaurants um you can go all the way from you know paper tickets and no tech right uh, aside from a telephone maybe to going into everything in the restaurant is is automated virtually everything in the restaurant is automated right and so there's such a a variety of technology that's employed in restaurants. 
Um, where we really got involved in working with restaurants was right when the pandemic hit. Um, when the pandemic hit restaurants, um, there was a need for someone to come in and fill this kind of like technology integrator consultant gap in the restaurant space. Um, There's a lot of folks who um, were in the space who were selling the technology and kind of uh, getting the point of sale system or the website set up and in place, but making those quick maneuvers as we had to in 2020 wasn't really, they weren't really set up for that. So we were able to partner with the city of St. Paul here in Minnesota uh, to provide technical assistance to restaurants uh, within the city. And through that program, it was at no cost to the restaurants. Um, and so and there was no tech at all, you know, getting a website up where, where folks could place orders um, online, where they could figure out what the hours of the restaurant was, where the maps were, whether they're open or not, you know, as the pandemic went on, whether I need to wear a mask or I don't need to wear a mask. Um, and those types of things. We also worked with restaurants, but needed to kind of make a change to keep customers engaged as it became more and more, um, uh, uh, the situation became more and more unclear about, you know, is the restaurant open or not? Can I order from them or not? And that's where we really provided a lot of um, advice and consulting around technology that can help folks stay engaged with their customers to keep them up to speed and really try to take that that in-person experience that everybody was invade can convert that same energy into a virtual experience that can make you feel like you still know each other. So that's where we came into place in working um, with, with restaurants, especially during the pandemic. Um, and there's a lot of success stories that came out of this. You know, there's the uh, a restaurant here in St. Paul who we worked with to set up their whole uh, branding uh, and social media calendar and got them in the rhythm to be able to continue doing those social media posts and outreach to their customers on a, on a daily, weekly basis. And so that was a huge success story about being able to kind of go from a, a low to no tech solution and be able to put some sophisticated technology uses in place to be able to sustain that customer relationship. And I like that what you've described so far is focused on the customer and not just dropping technology in somewhere because you can. And, you know, the term I had always used in IT consulting was shelfware. You close the deal and it's not a fit <laughs> and then nobody uses it, right? Right. Because it didn't fit a particular need or the, the salespeople didn't use it or marketing or operations or whoever, but it, I, I like the focus at the very end point. Cause none of that, you know, an Instagram account doesn't necessarily make a restaurant successful, but it's the outreach that it has, like you said, to make the customers aware that they're open or here's the specials or here's the people. And I like that your focus takes the restaurant owner of the restaurant staff with that journey and helps them get closer to the customer. Cause ultimately that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely is. Um, Jamie over at uh, Thai street cafe, you know, the restaurant that I was just talking about, um, they've been able to post things like, Hey, sorry, we're closed today. Emergency. We had to get the hood repaired before we can open up again. Don't worry. We'll be back tomorrow. Right. I mean, who who's ever showed up at a restaurant and been like, I was planning to go here today and you're not open and you get upset with that, right? Because you're <laughs> across town or you're just really hungry for some Thai food, but you didn't get the heads up that there was something going on. And now a restaurant has the capability to be able to mitigate that customer experience in ways that they weren't able to do before. At Next, we believe that the customer determines the value of the product or service that's offered. So if you look at it that way, hmm. we're always trying to measure how the customer is feeling, um, what's going to make them want to make a decision to come to your restaurant or do business with you or, or, or whatever it might be. And how do we work together as partners and stakeholders in delivering that superb customer experience? So, um, you know, for talking externally, you know, our company will even talk about our partners, right? That's what most people would say is clients, 
would be their clients. We say those are our partners because really we're all in partnership in delivering this excellent customer experience um, for, for the people who ultimately determine what the value of your product or service is. I love that. And then, cause you're absolutely right. That's almost a, a different de definition of value or capitalism, right? Because, you know, I see that with my friends in the bike industry, the supply chain is somewhat screwed up and the supply is way down, which means demand is way up and then the pricing is different. And so I love watching these uh, angry bike nerds on some of these Facebook for sale forums and they're going, 3200 bucks for this this and this is like he can get it you mm. don't have to buy it <laughs> you know that's that's the beauty of this i'm not sure if uh you read the terms and conditions on facebook just because he posted it it does not mean that you have to buy it if you disagree with the price <laughs> you know and, and we're not going down the comment rabbit hole it's not the point of this conversation but i did want to ask why why restaurants i mean in all the market and all the markets, all the industries out there, there's certainly more that have, uh, I would say maybe more potential for upside or less friction or things like that. But why restaurants? It's, it's important to my existence. I love going out, but why did you start there? Yeah, we, and I think we, it's important to all of our existence, right? I mean, mm -hmm. whether it's a, a way that you feed your family um, or a way that you, you know, earn, to feed your family. Um, restaurants are just are important. And they always have. It's really great to be a part of a truly historic industry and um, working with restaurants. You know, we I would say the intentionality around working with restaurants isn't what it was. You know, we were in a position to uh, answer a call and to fill a need, and we were able to do that. And, you know, after we began working with restaurants, we really realized that um, we do something different than most in the industry do. You know, the focus on customer experience is uh, one way of looking at it. Uh, that's pretty different. But I think also a differentiator is our ability to be a trusted partner in choosing the right the right technology and making sure that it doesn't become shelfware, as you said, right? making sure that we have the solutions that are gonna um, best support that restaurant engaging their customers and making sure that not only folks continue to come back, but they continue to buy from you in different ways. And so, you know, fitting in has really worked well for us. Um, and, you know, we're, we're happy to be in it. You know, one thing that I've learned as a business owner is to, you know, sometimes you're, you really wanna try to make things happen um, but sometimes you want to definitely follow, follow the momentum and like kind of follow the winds. Uh, my business partner Jeff and I talk about is is are we are we uh, are we uh, managing the sale right now or are we letting the sale take us where we need to go? And sometimes we let the wind push us, and sometimes we really grab onto that thing and move it in the right in the direction that we want to. And we felt like with restaurants, both things came in the same angle. You know, Jeff's has in my, my co-founder, Jeff, he has a lot of experience in uh, restaurant consulting himself. And so while it wasn't where we necessarily intended the company to start out with, um, it ended up falling in place and we we're happy to do our part during the pandemic for helping, uh, continuing to help restaurants. So let's get, uh, I guess, maybe tactical or maybe strategic at this point. So you mentioned managing the sale and as partners, business owners, what do you have a procedure that helps guide you through that? And I guess I'm really fascinated by what happens if you are deadlocked on opposite sides of whether it's the sale, you know, who's managing the sale or the sales pushing you. How do you work through that conflict as partners? That's, that's a great question. Um, we have a few tools we use. I mean, just to go through things like we talk a lot, I would say one, one thing, but we try to also use some tools. So we know we have a decision matrix that we use for deciding. Mm. Um, so there's something called the Eisenhower decision matrix. I'm not sure if 
yeah folks really use that it's kind of like a mba type thing or maybe even not but like we we go in and use tools like that just to make things clear to us um we also do a lot of um work with cx so we do a lot of work with like journey maps and figuring out like looking at the actual journeys and then costing them out and, and being able to relate you know relate situations to each other and uh you know kind of see what the roadmap would look like one way or the other or what the journey would look like one way or the other and, and have open conversations about that um the deadlocking doesn't happen with us which is um maybe the decisions are too easy <laughs> for us <or> too clear <laughs> maybe we need some more difficult decisions um but we we don't too too often deadlock on things i think prioritization is is something that you know the tools we have in place and the way that we interact allows us to do. I think it's really important to have a decision-making framework that you can refer to and that you trust. And that when the results tell you something you don't like, you can trust the results because that's the framework that you use and you can go on with it. Well, it's the objectivity. And despite, uh, I think any relationship, there's always going to be some some passion or some bias or something involved in the decision. And yeah, I do react a lot with my gut, but I have tried to teach myself to have some uh, metrics or some cold data or something that could guide and balance both the logical and the emotional. I think it makes for a much better decision. Yeah. And all my coaching friends uh, are always telling me, you know, to get curious with yourself and to say, you know, if I, if I have that gut feeling, why do I have that? Where's that's interesting that I feel that way. Why, why do I feel that way? Why, what's going on here? And I think as a team, we do that pretty well with each other and, you know, being open to ask those why questions. Also being curious is one of the core behaviors of our company next. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that we always do is lean into our own, own vulnerabilities while we're seeing ourselves to create our best world. So, um, you know, the, I think the way that we approach some of these more difficult decisions that come up sometimes more frequently than we like to see is, you know, to make sure we be, we're curious about why we feel it has to be one way or another. Some of these tools help us communicate that to each other. I want to come back to that. And I love interviews like this because I feel like I'm at day one of a college course. <laughs> and so I'm taking <laughs> furious notes. And this is one where I know I'm going to get educated. And so I definitely come back to the values, decisions uh, of, the, of the company. But can you take me back briefly to the origin point of Next? You've been around uh, a couple years now. Mm -hmm. And going out on your own, how did you arrive at that? I, I'll always like, I know it could be like a patent question, but I always like the origin stories of how something came into being like this. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, this is great. And I tell this story different every time. So I'll, I'll give a special version for you here today, Matt. So this was this cool. Thank special you. For you. Um, so next has been around since 2018 we incorporated in 2018 i've been it's been a full-time pursuit for me since 2019 and so we kind of had the concept before we had that um i met my founding partner jeff in uh work in uh, the twin cities here um, volunteering in community to uh, for the benefit of uh, black folks mo mostly and we met through that type of social justice work. Um, and as you know, like Minneapolis is kind of like an epicenter now, and we were kind of involved heavily like two to three years before uh, 2020. Um, what we realized in our work together as we kind of crossed paths in the city is one is that we worked really well together. Is you know, when we're in a meeting or, you know, hosting some type of um, discovery session, um, it worked really well. Um, we ended up finding out that, you know, like he was, he was big on design thinking and I was big on technology and I had a little bit of background in design thinking and he had a little bit of background in technology. So it was just like really good, really good blend. So that's kind of like how the partnership came together. Um, and that's how it drove this idea of creating our best world because we really met each other by trying to impact people's lives and make them better. Um, and we thought that if we could create a company 
that was a sustainable company that earned its own money, that had its own uh, customers, so on and so forth, that we could actually create our best world by working with partners all over the world and help enabling our partners to better impact their customers through the through us working with them. And so that's kind of like where this whole philosophy came up, which is really the core of the company. You know, like if you look outside of that and how the company actually operates, a lot of that comes from both of our experience again. I'll talk about the side I know most about, which is customer experience and technology. And so I started out my career as an entrepreneur straight out of high school doing small business, IT consulting, circa year 2000, Y2K, all that sort of stuff. And so I've always kind of had this business technology consultant hat on uh, with all of my work. Um, I ended up working at the Federal Reserve for about eight years. And there is where I really started looking at this concept of the customer is the person who ultimately determines the value of a product or service. So when you're mm -hmm. sitting around with a group of technology providers from several different organizations that are supposed to work together as one, how do you cut through the, the hierarchies and the organizational separation, all of those things to make sure that folks work together with a singular focus? My working philosophy is that if we can all focus on what the customer needs for their better tomorrow, then we can figure out where we fit in on delivering that better tomorrow. And so I started working with that idea and that customer experience practice within the Federal Reserve um, and thought, hey, this is going really great. And I want to take it further. I want to take it out on my own. And so that's, that's how Next got started. How scary was it or was it when you decided to leave the Fed and, and move on? Uh, I wish, uh, to, to be completely honest with you, I wish I would have done it when I was the most scared. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> because that was before I did it. Um, you know, like I said, we started the company in 2018 and I didn't go full time until 2019. And so there was a, there was time to bake the concept and to make sure that the partnership was working and all those things. And so by the time it came around to go full time, it was a pretty natural step for me because it was already the determined future that I was going to be on. Um, when I said to do it earlier, it's like I've thought when was the time that I knew that this was going to be my future without acknowledging that this was going to be my future. You know what I'm saying? Like, when did I, mm -hmm. when did it, when did my, when did my like life know before my mind knew <laughs> like, this is going <laughs> to <laughs> and I wish I would have like looking back there's some of those signals that you can pay attention to and sometimes I'll you know oftentimes folks will call me and they'll say hey I'm thinking about starting a business this this and that should I do it and it's like yeah there's some things that you can look for more in your behaviors that you're enacting than probably what you're thinking about right um, thinking about where like your mental energy goes and the problem solving that you do um, is, is, is something that's important to pay attention to when you're thinking about striking out on your own. And I think, you know, just kind of being aware like that helps balance the type of pressure and anxiety and just overall, you know, uh, frightening nature of striking out on your own. Where did this level of awareness and self-awareness come from for you? There's a lot of topics and a lot of uh, personal insight that you've mentioned that I'm guessing came from, well, I want to know where it came from because you're talking about, you know, understanding that life might be aware, but you're not, but figuring all these things out. Where did this awareness come from for you? It's, it's building. I think it's building. I think it, you know, I started out in my life as uh, in a very religious setting. And so there was kind of all of this, always this other knowledge uh, type of, um, um, you know, mentality built in or, you know, greater power type of mentality built in. Always been a, a part of me. And I think as like professionally in my life, that's really turned into being, a, a sense of humility in the, in the fact that like, 
as capable as I may be. Um, I will not know everything that I could even conceive that I should know, right? Like there's so many things that my body and my mind are taking in that I can't even process in the moment. And I just need to be aware that sometimes um, I will learn later <laughs> what I was taught earlier, right? Um, and so I, I just become have that kind of awareness. There's been a lot of books I've read too and a lot of great coaching. I mean, I would just say that like my, my wife, Ashley, is amazing and she works, um, she has in her line of work, there's a lot of this like being in touch with yourself type of things happening. Uh, my sister Naomi is a huge leadership coach uh, type of uh, professional has her own business and uh, that's that's very successful too and so I've got some great advisors that are very close to me that have been able to help foster my learning <laughs> I think you hit upon the the key component of that or one of the the critical components of it is the humility and I remember a long time ago, right after college, I knew everything <laughs> and I was perfect. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think the, the universe is a great leveler of that. Like it certainly took off some rough edges and it, uh, it certainly exposed my imperfections, but, um, yeah, I, I have probably spent as much time on personal and professional development as I did on any business venture. And it's not always easy. It's not always fun, but it's, it's uh, transformed my existence on this planet. And I like running into somebody that has the same uh, that's on the same journey, I'll say. Yeah. It's good to be in a similar place. And I think what, like your college experience because I've been there too. I think we've all been there, right? I mean, that's like, what's the thing? You're if you're a bike rider, so you're trying to like, I'm gonna go off this jump on my bike, and like at that moment, <laughs> when both wheels left the ground, you realized <laughs> it was probably a bad idea, right? Like, you should have. <laughs> there's, I think that there's this thing like it's pretty studied, like the 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 stages of competence, right? The unconscious competence, conscious incompetence conscious competence right like going all the way up to un unconscious competence yes uh, you know like thinking that whole thinking through that whole period um i've also seen it where folks are sometimes they're most verbose at unconscious incompetence you know they're like that's when <laughs> folks kinda, can be their most verbose and then you're like oh shoot now that i have both wheels off of the jump i realize <laughs> <laughs> that i don't know exactly how this is going to end and it may not end well so <laughs> speaking of that not ending well i was at a bike shop and there was a kid who's going off to this ritzy east coast school and he's he had had some success here amateur bike racing but i was just struck by his arrogance and his hubris that without really any data of going back east he felt and he not felt he knew in his heart he was going to dominate that race scene yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> like i hey i i'm all about belief and the uncertainty and the unknown but he was absolutely convinced he's like yeah it's just there's not just going to be any competition out there and i was like mm -hmm. okay what kind of biking is this uh, i think it was road or triathlon or something but just and I just looked back to a little bit of myself at that age and just yeah I own the world it owed me and you know I'm you know king of it all and <laughs> nope <laughs> yeah well yeah I, that that happens uh really frequently and um it's nice to be in a place now when you're kind of like how you you and I are where we can kind of see that and appreciate it. Right. It's kind of part of we've all been on it. Uh, and so it's nice to be able to recognize it when we see it and maybe watch or maybe help, maybe <laughs> do what we can if the help's wanted. You know, that's a, a very key distinction is that had I thought that anything I would have said 
would have at least been met with awareness, not necessarily acceptance, but awareness. I might've said something, but there, I, I think I'm a fairly decent judge of character. And I just got the sense that <laughs> this is way outside my pay grade. <laughs> and <laughs> there's this, there's no point. <laughs> there's yeah. just really no point. <laughs> yeah. I love that outside the pay grade. It's like, no, no, it's not saying that, you know, there's a really a big issue with you. It's just like, I'm not, I don't have the tools in place to be able to help you <laughs> with that. So go on. Like, there's nothing I could say now to have the impact that that needs to happen to actually change what, uh, what needs to change for you. So that's another good thing to understand. You know, that that's another thing, good, good thing to understand. <laughs> yeah. Something that I really wanted to get back to that resonated when you talked about the values, the intentions and decisions with Next and you and, and Jeff, how did you design those? Because you've got a technical background, an engineering background, and he's got the design aspect of it. So um, take me through that thought process and you can call it some end results, some specific end results, but I love that you specifically talked about intentions and decisions as a company mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah well we've been we've learned a lot as a company we've had good experiences and bad experiences and as all companies should um and we've taken the opportunity to learn from all those and you know do a debrief and uh you know post-mortem and figure out how you know we can you know make sure that these experiences make us more resilient um, we had a pretty tough encounter and uh, a, a pretty tough encounter with a, you know, pretty bad string of, of, of partners that I'll call them clients because they weren't really partners um, that we had to say like, hey, like this is going to happen to us again in the future, likely like there's always going to be bad actors out. So what can we do as a company to make sure that bad actors don't impact us and that we we protect ourselves and have certain things in place that keep us protected. You know, I think some of that probably goes back to my background in banking too, where it's all about like compliance and risk. <laughs> like how do we, how do we make sure that we, we create the uh, tools of compliance to mitigate all of our risk. And so uh, we, we tapped into that. Um, you know, when it came down to actually deciding like what are our core values going to be and what are our behaviors going to be like, that started out by working through why we were in this together, right? And why this company was was founded. And we did, you know, we looked at what was needed to actually create our best world. Like, what does a company have to inherently just do just by defining the values and core behaviors to set it on the right course to, to creating our best world? So we worked with a few concepts. And we revise them when they're needed. But you know, for our core values, we decided that we needed to be a human-centered company. We need to make sure that the customer experience was always guiding us in how we work and engage with our partners, and that we came to this work being intent on benefiting people's everyday lives. So we that was part of being creating our best world. Global worldview was another, you know, not being too, you know, focused just what's on happening locally, but also thinking about the global impacts and how things happen across the globe impact us here. Real, um, you know, the idea is there's not any fakeness allowed. You got to be able to bring your real self to, to work, be brave, communicate bravely, um, be able to, you know, kind of derive a lot of value from each other by some of those um, kind of like um, more those authentic situations that happen those authentic conversations. We stay future oriented. So we're always looking towards the future, even in solving our work today. So it's always about like that creating our best world again. And operational excellence was, a, was another one that we put in there because we know that, you know, people don't have a lot of time to waste. And especially a lot of the folks that we're, we're working with, we need to have that type of clarity of our processes and consistency of the way that we work. Um, so we can really have that tight partnership and working together. So we came up with all as a through iteration, but also just like what is what's essential for creating our best world, and the, so that's that's that was kind of how our conversation went to come up with those core values. 
And I would imagine that just based on that description, that there are conversations and interactions that are real, but yet could also be maybe a bit uncomfortable and perhaps even unnatural to some people. And with that, I'm going, I want to find out about your, your interviewing process and sort of mentoring or coaching so that those conversations get more natural and it's just people being present and real and having those conversations. How, what type of people do you look for and how do you make sure that they qualify and they're going to be part of your, which I think is a very robustly designed culture. Yeah, well, that that's interesting. Uh, I wasn't expecting to talk about interviewing, but I was just on an interview earlier today, so it's really fresh. So I, I, I appreciate you bringing that in here because this is Every time you add a person to an organization, it's the opportunity for the culture to either change for better or for worse, right? And so you want to make sure that the people that you're bringing on, you know, potentially are going to be able to evolve the culture in a better way than you can think of yourself, right? Organizations are like living, breathing things. So whatever you feed into it, that, that energy that the person brings the knowledge, the experience, their whole self that they bring into it is going to change that organization into something that it, that it wasn't before they arrived there. So one of the things is we like to make our careers at Next very accessible. So I, I have in the past, and I still do this, if I see some of these kind of like arbitrary um, requirements on job posts, I ask that they be taken off just because you never know, you know, you know, you, you, just because someone has such and such degree or years of experience or whatever, it doesn't mean that they're going to take the company where it needs to go next. Um, and in, in fact, sometimes it turns a lot of people who could help us out. Um, it turns them off. Right. So um, that's one of the, one of the ways that we look at it. We also like to just be really clear and straightforward with um, what's involved with the job, what's not involved with the job, what it pays, what the benefits are, et cetera. So like all of those things, like at the gate, we try to be super, super clear about. Um, as you move into the interview process, the interview process is, uh, it, it's very much a process about culture. Um, I would say before we get into the technical, uh, you know, nature of the positions, we focus a lot on culture and not just like, the say like culture fit in, in air quotes that people have said before. I mean, we ask questions about how you deal with difficult, you know, situations, whether it's about, you know, you're experiencing racism in the office or sexism or anything like that. You know, whatever your experiences been dealing with that in the past, how would you deal with it here? Ask, get the definition of what people creating their, what creating their best world feels like to them and why are they interested into it? And so we kind of really delve into some of those questions that are really rooted right at the values of the organizations to be more objective when you're talking about a culture fit, um, because the reason why we have these values and core behaviors is to define what the culture is. And so um, that's how we go through like kind of like that part of the interview. Um, it's usually early on. Then we get into some of the technical aspects of the position, whether you're doing, you know, sales or data science or whatever it might be um, to make sure that you know the technical rigors there but also that the attitude that fits well with the company um so we are aware of all of our personality types in the organization actually so we're, we try to be very smart with folks who uh who we're interviewing to bring them on to make sure that it's going to be a, a, a good fit for what we need now um now that's one thing i don't do is i don't um I don't do like tests for, you know, personality tests for people coming into the organization. Typically, I'm not really interested in that. I'm more interested in what our organization's personality is right now and what the team is and what seemed to be, could be the benefit for them most uh, next. And then I think it's, you know, you got to be inclusive when you're thinking about who you're hiring. So like I said, I don't like to put up barriers to entry for folks. I like to be more self-aware as an organization about who we are. I like that. And I also like that you 
mention behaviors and it's top of my mind this week because I'm doing a presentation for some uh, CIOs and introducing the concept. It's how they can better communicate within an organization. It's, it's sales concepts, but spun in understanding behaviors. And you're only the second person I've ever talked to that when they're talking about a company culture that has included behaviors in that description. And so uh, I think it's great because I think culture, like you, you used air quotes, like our culture, right? Culture is wonderful when things are going very, very well, when the company's doing great and there's clients rolling in. And when things get difficult and start going sideways, and I don't want to say people's true self, because I don't think that's an accurate description, but I think when people are under pressure or stress and they react, that's when a behavior guide is going to matter. That's when true personalities and cultures are going to be apparent. And so what are some of the, the behaviors that are essential to next? Because I find that very fascinating. And, and again, like you're the only the second person that's ever brought that up. So it's, and wow. I'm just fascinated by it. Well, Matt, either uh, we are really leading the way or we're both way off the path. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> if I'm the least I think it's leading the way. I'm, <laughs> I'm a yeah. casual observer and I've been in the yeah. training and development space a little bit, yeah. but it's all about behavior. It's all about what you do. Right. Right. And that that's so important. I mean, I think, okay, like going, our core behaviors here at Next are we lead. That means we act with uh, immediacy because we always want to set the direction. We're curious. We lean into, uh, into vulnerability and seeking new knowledge and equipping ourselves to create our best world. And we are teachers because we answer questions before they're asked because no one has the time to wait for the knowledge and information they need. So those are our three behaviors. Are, are you teaching? Are you being curious or are you leading? And really curiosity spurs both of those, right? Curiosity yeah. makes you a teacher. Curiosity makes you a leader. And uh, so that's kind of like the fountain of uh, the behaviors is the curiosity. Um, this, is, this is our values and behaviors are core to performance at Next. And so we have a process that we use called uh, constant feedback and recognition. Um, there are meetings that we have, it's, they're, they're, they come from our um, OKR framework that we use in Next to create our uh, objectives and key results. And so every two weeks, the supervisor will meet and, uh, with, with the staff member, and they'll have a, you know, a conversation on equal footing, but it's all based around how these values and core behaviors are showing up. And so like, you know, if your TPS reports aren't in in on time right <laughs> that, that might fall into what you know what value do you want to use to talk about that is that going to be a, you know operational excellence curiosity uh, you know using that behavior like how are you going to approach that so everything that's framed like every conversation in our company is framed around these values and behaviors and to your point the reason why you do everything for these values and behaviors is so when it hits the wall, you know, you still know how things are going to run, right? You still know that these behaviors and values are going to be upheld. And if they're not, then we have a process for that as well. But, you know, you never, what you, these are easy things to do when you're not paying attention to them, but because things are going well, that might be like the conventional thinking, but then also you might want to think about that in the opposite way. Like how, if, if, if it's a super sunny day, how are you actually displaying your values when they're not being tested? How exactly. do you know that they're there when they're not being tested? How are you showing up that be, how is that behavior of being curious showing up when you feel like you know everything already, right? Like it's, you know, that's, these are these behaviors, they push you forward to keep moving, keep being curious, keep uncovering new things. And then you have the responsibility, responsibility to do something with that knowledge once you gain it. I love that. Uh, how do you display your values when they're not being tested? I.e. when it's easy. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like I we've never had one of those things like our work culture is great. Like we have happy hours. That's like that's not a thing for us. <laughs> we do have some happy hours per periodically, but that's not part of our culture. And I think it's not part of our culture because if you have, you know, a global worldview, you're gonna realize that like happy hour is not customary for everyone, right? And so you don't want to necessarily make that your culture. That's a very good point. And that's, uh, I think that's a great way to segue into uh, DEI. Mm-hmm. And it's just about being aware. And I think understanding, maybe not even agreeing with it so much, but just, yeah, I think that's such an acceptable and accessible analogy to say that happy hours aren't a thing all around the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that, and again, I'm going to go, you know, a um, little ridiculous in the example here, but it doesn't mean that you have to shut down happy hours. It right. just means that for us, we're going to call it something different that might make our people feel included or at the very least not excluded. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to hear not anti-happy uh, hour, uh, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. You can go to happy hour for like that. But it's like, what are the, you know, what are these traditions that we build as a company that best suit our company? Uh, we've worked with uh, some of our partners in the past to really identify what company traditions are and whether those are inclusive whether new ones need to be created that could be inclusive for the company. And it's, it's an important thing. Um, sometimes we surveyed companies and asked, you know, what are company traditions that you think apply to you? And some people, you'll, yeah. you'll, get, you'll get some folks will say, we're doing absolutely great on that. And others will say, I don't even know what they are, you know? And so how do you actually create those types of um, traditions in your company that are inclusive and that suit the needs of the people you have now, but also like going forward into the future, the who your company is going to become and who you're going to hire in the future. Very broad question. And I'm asking it from a you know, place of humility and learning. And when you talked about racism in the office and take me through, well, let me, let me back up that question and take it down a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. Um, help me understand how I could interact with you as a coworker or an employee or a supervisor that would help you feel comfortable, help me feel comfortable about a somewhat very sensitive, very powerful topic around race. What are things, and let me, let me put even some more clarity on that. So as a, as a white dude, like, what could I do? What would you expect? What could I do that would build a legitimate conversation around this? So that's a super great question. Um, and I think it's interesting to look at it at the workplace perspective, right? Um, one of the things that's interesting when you think about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace is that it takes a different, um, it takes, it's different than interpersonal diversity, equity, and inclusion, what we do with our neighbors, mm. what we do outside of the workplace, right? Um, a, a company has um, a responsibility to be compliant when it comes to not being discriminatory, providing hostile work environments, so on and so forth, right? That's, company must legally do that. Um, when it comes into going into diversity, equity, and inclusion, leading companies know that by taking a step forward and providing a framework for their employees to engage around these topics makes them a better company it makes these conversations that you're going to talk that you're talking about happening happen in a more positive way in a more upbuilding way you know tough conversations are going to happen but what do they lead to and so I think if you're in a position where you're with, within an organization and you have some element of diversity, whether it's uh, racially charged diverse, diversity happening between peers, I think, number one, I hope that you have 
some of these values in place in your organization and some of these core behaviors in place in your organization. Um, uh, some of these are some of your own because that really helps the conversation, helps people come into the conversation at the same place. You can recognize intentions. You can recognize that this is a conversation about us in the workplace, but we realize we're bringing very different selves into this conversation. So curiosity is always a good thing. And the person who's being curious is being vulnerable in that curiosity, right? Uh, you know, I think asking questions or, you know, being, inquisi being inquisitive to support what you already think is backwards, right? You got to be inquisitive to find the new knowledge that you need. And which is very contrary to how our brains work. Our brains mm -hmm. come up with ideas and then we find the evidence to support our ideas and then you see it all makes sense, right? And you can't take that frame of reference uh, to conversations about the, that we're talking about here about, you know, whether there's racial bias or even just, you know, a casual conversation about race with a colleague. You have to come with some sincere curiosity, seeking to gain new knowledge. Um, and I think that that's a really great place to start. There's more dynamics than that, right? That that come into place, especially depending on the relationship, right? Is this is this you know a coworker from another race that you've worked with for four years that you go to each other's soccer games, you know, you watch each other's kids, or is there the a tokenized you know person in your office who's getting peppered with these questions from ten people who look like you, right? Like there's you've got to realize where that fits um, in the in the situation too. Um, you know, you have. And a, an immense amount of you know resources available to you about any topic of diversity, including race, and so so um, any topic uh, 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 about diversity, including race. So I think also like being curious on your own before being curious with others can be a very positive thing as well. And I just go back to what I was saying at the beginning and saying that as a leader in the organization, provide a framework for employees to get, engage on these things, right? So one of the things, you know, a lot of respondents will say, um, when we ask them the question, how would you deal with an issue that came up about race? Most of the people I talk to say that they would go and confront their coworker about it. You know, and then they talk about the various means of doing it. And sometimes uh, I'll have to ask, would you ever um, talk to your supervisor about it? <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I talk to them about it. Um, but there's I th I, folks are getting a lot more comfortable with thinking about, hey, this is something that I think needs to be addressed. And I'm going to, you know, go and talk to my coworker about it directly. And I'm going to try to have a respectful, positive conversation to the matter. You know, and the other thing is that we have as a core value is being real. So don't be fake about it. Be courageous in the way that you communicate your intention in that, in that conversation, because it could be a critical issue and you just don't want to have any miscommunication about it. I think a lot of the <clears throat> um, challenges in relationships come down to that. Perceptions, miscommunication, assumptions it's it's not a whole lot different inside or outside the workplace it's just well i know you meant this well <laughs> that's not what i was thinking <laughs> so yeah. yeah as best we can take some of the emotion out of it and you know clarify right and um you know when you mentioned about being curious on your own those were things as a salesperson, I would at least try to do a little bit of homework on the person and the company, the business segment to come in and just, I always thought it was, to me, it was a, a sign of respect of their time, if nothing else, mm -hmm. saying, here's this, here's this, here's this. And then to your point, testing it and saying, look, I'm not inside these walls. I'm not in your meetings from the outside. This is what it looks like. Is this correct? I'm not tied to this, but this is what my initial homework has led me to hypothesize. I like using that word, not believe, but hypothesize. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, it sounds way too clinical. We're talking about, you know, 
two coworkers or two friends and race relations, but just sort of like, yeah, just read a book or talk to, you know, listen to a podcast or something. There's ways that you can do it. I think in a, in a nuanced, um, respectful way. Yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, I think that there's short form of, of ways of, of getting there if it's more informal conversation, but I think, you know, there's to be in a corporate setting or in a business setting, because then you have that environment and that culture that already kind of carries those ways of communicating about it. And it's not to like dampen the conversation or, or make you say something that someone else wants you to say and not what you mean to say, but it means that you can more meet with that colleague on neutral ground, right? Hopefully it's neutral ground that you'll be able to create where it's like, hey, let's pop out for coffee. Let's go into a conference room. Let's go for a walk, whatever it may be, where we can look at each other eye and eye, eye to eye and, and talk through these topics. Well, as we were talking about before we hit record, <laughs> that hour just flew by. <laughs> it did. It did. That was so great, Matt. I, I feel like there's like a whole list of topics we haven't gotten to go through yet. Um, so we'll have to do this again, hopefully. I absolutely would welcome that. And uh, I will make a note and let's hold each other accountable because those topics, I just like talking to people that I enjoy and the topics to me come secondary. And so um yeah i knew after just the first minute or two of our uh previous zoom call that this would be the start of just a, a an interesting friendship and business relationship and so that's that's why i do this so yeah i, thank I you. i'm in the same place with you and you're welcome and thank you to you as well um i love uh the conversation that we have today i love what you're doing with this podcast i hopefully the stories that we shared today kind of fit into where they need to go in, in this vast, uh, great uh, library that you're building um, of, of media work here. So I appreciate it, Matt. Thank you. Oh, that, that means a lot. And I know the, the, the expertise from what you're saying that. So thank you. It, it, that means a lot. I, I don't want people to ever think that any sort of compliment or listening goes by the wayside. So it, it matters. So I appreciate you saying that. You got it. I'm glad to hear it. So where can, uh, where can people track you down? I'll obviously post links to the company and to your LinkedIn profile, but, um, and you do work with restaurants nationally and globally. Is that your scope or are you confined to St. Paul? (laughs) We're, we're North America focused for all of our business at this point. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. You can find us on Instagram is at ncxtdotco next.co facebook and instagram and then linkedin if you search up next you'll find it there uh the web you'll find us at ncxt.co next.co on the web as well um yeah feel free to to reach out get in contact with us give us a shout on social media love to hear from from anyone out there and start up a conversation with you wonderful Jonathan Banks, this has been great. And I'm, again, so thankful that you reached out. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. It was great to be here. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest and good friend Randy Wiafe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple, Transistor, or Spotify. And I know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest. And if you do, please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com. Thanks for listening.